Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. I am a jelly-filled donut. Uh, Those were the words of President John F. Kennedy when he accidentally spoke the thing that he did not intend to say in German. During his historic visit to West Berlin in June 26, 1963, in a passionate speech expressing solidarity with the people of West Berlin, Kennedy wanted to convey the message that the citizens of the democratic Western world stood united against the oppressive forces of communism. And as he addressed the crowd, he intended to say, I'm a Berliner. However, due to a slight linguistic misunderstanding, Kennedy misspoke instead, declaring, I am a jelly-filled donut. Uh, Language matters. And we know this firsthand that it isn't isolated to the things that we say. It's the places that we're from. It's the context that we're in. It's the experiences that we've shared. It's the situations at hand. It's the people that we've come to be that all communicate that which we want to say. Even if we think back to that story, though it's a well-worn story to poke fun at Kennedy outside of Germany, the crowd that day most certainly understood that he was not intending to say that he's a jelly-filled donut. There was plenty going on for them to know he was trying to express something quite different. There's a way in which you communicate that matters. And there's ways in which things are communicated to us that are vitally important. Albert Moravian is a researcher who first broke down the components of a face-to-face conversation. There's a statement that kind of says that 90% of communication is nonverbal. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it rings true. According to Moravian, he says that 55% of our communication in a face-to-face conversation is nonverbal. 38% vocal, 7% words only. And when someone reads a transcript of a politician's impassioned speech, are they really going to get the message? While the audience may get the essence of what's being said, there's always going to be something that's missing. Something that's lost in translation. Something that's going to require presence, being, togetherness in order to fully communicate the truth at hand. Christmas is a return to hear what God has said to humanity. And if we've only ever heard the Christmas story through the lens of pop culture or maybe just in a passing commercial on a Wednesday night, perhaps we've missed the context, the gravity, the importance of the togetherness that comes with actually knowing very simply that God is saying to humanity, I have come to be with you. That I want you to know, not just in the words that I say that I love you, but in the person that I am, in the actions that I take, that I've come to be with you. 
And in a world where we are inundated with messages, especially around this time of year, where it grows to static or it becomes just noise all around us, have we been able to hear the message of the season that is actually meant to touch our hearts? Christmas is a return to hear what God has said to humanity, what God has said to you. That God came to be with us. The word of God became flesh, tangible, visible, intimate. Flesh that changes the world, that changes every person who hears and responds and is grandiose in nature. That statement that God has come to be with us, come to be with you, sometimes seems beyond our comprehension, our understanding, or our imagination because we can't even facilitate the idea of God even thinking about us, let alone being with us. The separation of what it can be, what it should be, what God desires it to be, and what I think it might even possibly move towards is vast. But yet every Christmas, we are invited to remember God came to be with you. I need that reminder. Life comes hard and fast. And I don't know about you, but December seems to go quicker than most months. You blink and it's Christmas Eve. I hope you're ready. And that might be just in our preparations and our practices and our traditions, but it's also the case for our hearts. Our souls and our spirits and our very being seems to be playing catch up all year long And before we know it, life seems to be driving the bus instead of a revelation of who God is and that he's come to be with us. The word of God became flesh. And when that doesn't match with our current reality, it is difficult to grasp. And it doesn't fit with our language. Language matters. The Archbishop of Canterbury once said that language is the tool through which we decipher and describe the world. There are languages of life, of love, and of Jesus. When it comes to the language of life, one of the most beautiful and slightly annoying parts of being married is saying something to my wife and her immediately knowing that something else is going on. Making a statement and her knowing that that really isn't the main thing on my mind or the first thing on my mind, let alone the only thing on my mind. She's she's almost saying back to me with the tone of her response, I know you're saying the words, but I don't actually believe them. Words can be said and still lack meaning. We can say a lot of things about a lot of things and still not hold on to what they're meant to be communicating within our heart of hearts. I don't have to fabricate a story to make you realize that seasons of our life come to us on a daily basis. And we can feel like we're caught up in them. And whether or not Jesus was born in the winter, it was probably closer to September, 
it's fitting to use this idea metaphorically that some of us, especially Albertans, have lived through snowy winters. But all of us have lived through other winters too. Emotional winters, relational winters, where we have felt cold and marginalized and alone and isolated. Winters of poverty and disappointment and depression. John Steinbeck borrows Shakespeare's phrase, the winter of our discontent, for his examination of the human condition here in the 20th, 20th century. Life hits us and the only way that we sometimes begin to explain it to talk about it, to live into it, as we use the language of life, it is what it is. And we've all been there and we've all met people who speak that language. That it is what it is, it's happening to me and I can't really see beyond it in this moment. Hope doesn't even make its way into the conversation. Yet the Christmas story interrupts the language of life, interrupts the, the thoughts and the processes that we are caught up in. And it does so. The Christmas story is Jesus coming in the form of a fragile baby. Entering into the world with a message of hope. Not to ignore the struggle, but to enter into it. Hebrews 2 verses 14 to 17 clearly communicates that Jesus has come to be in the struggle. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Jesus came so that he could share in all that it is to be human. Not just the good, not just the kind of okay, not just the beautiful, but the ugly, the hard, the overwhelming, the real. Christmas can be so beyond what we're currently experiencing because we feel as if we are compelled to have an optimistic attitude. It's a joyful season. I should be joyful. It's, it's a season about love. I should be experiencing love and showing love. And we've actually painted Jesus into this corner as if to say, he's only going to like it if I experience Christmas in a joyful, happy, peaceful, loving manner. That is not the Christmas story. The arrival of Jesus into the world is not saying, you have to have it all right in order for me to be with you. It's saying that I'm going to come be with you no matter where you're at. That the struggle that you're in, that the reality of life, the language of life that is coming at you is not a deterrent to his presence and his longing and his desire to be with you. He knew the language of life. He knew the language of what is going on. And yet he's entered in it, into it still. There, there are stories within the Christmas tradition that want us to almost separate Jesus from what was actually taking place. There's, <laughs> there's many a story within the culture of Christmas that wants Jesus to be an aloof deity set aside and far off from what's going on. Even the idea of 
Joseph and Mary arriving and there's no room in the inn and they end up in a, in a barn somewhere, a stable somewhere and they have the baby on their own only surrounded by animals. It isn't in line with actually what's taking place. Within the Christmas story, if we look at the ancient Near East perspective and what would have been taking place within that culture, Jesus is not separate in a barn. What would have been likely taking place is not that there was no place in the inn, but there was no guest room in the house. Within the house itself would be many, many rooms and even space for animals to, to, to be safe and to be warm and to be cared for. The economic identity of the family was present within the home itself. And it was likely that Joseph goes and enters into the home of one of his family. They might not have a guest room, but Jesus is born within the house itself. He's born in what would have been a manger or a feeding trough. And he's not separate. He's not away. He's not aloof. What's actually taking place is Jesus is in the thick of it. How many of you are bracing for 15 family members to enter your home this season? And how many of you know when people are gathered together, there is joy, but there is most certainly chaos. So I want you to imagine with me on that night where Jesus is born, there are people running around the house. The guest rooms are full. The animals are all around and there is chaos everywhere. And Jesus enters into it. From the very beginning, who Jesus was, what he was doing, where he was entering, was representative of his heart for you and for me. And when we enter into the reality of a situation, when you enter into the chaos of it, what are you doing? Well, you're, you're learning to show love. Because what is love if not to enter into something that is difficult with another in mind? The language of life overwhelms us. But the language of love within the scriptures, within the story of Christmas, is meant to be the one that we begin to communicate with. The one that we begin to live by. Jesus' arrival is God's embodiment of love in the world. The God of the Bible doesn't merely express love through Jesus. He is love. As the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, He has always been and forever will be an other-centered, a self-giving, a communal being who thinks, feels, and acts with pure love. This is the language we're meant to discover and to learn. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote books of the, Old of, of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't pull out their dictionaries to decide what agape, the word for love, actually means. Rather, they looked into the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life in order to redefine their very concept of love because we've got a tainted definition of love. We might think we have a language of love, but it most certainly struggles and pales in comparison to the language of love that is found within the biblical story. Agape love is not primarily a feeling that happens to people. This is the kind of love that is the choice that we make to act in a way that offers well-being to others, even if they are our enemies. 
Jesus says that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how we treat the person you can't stand. And you might be having dinner with some of those people this Christmas. Will you be able to hold the language of love? Will you be able to be kind and generous? Will you be able to, to think of them before you think of yourself? Will you be able to move past the indiscretions of, of the previous interactions you've had and hold true to the love that is found in the Christmas story and let that be the transforming power that lives within you? Because the reality is my goodwill, my good intentions, my, my hope for love to traverse those moments will not sustain me. It has to come from a greater source. It has to come from one who has entered in. It has to come from Jesus. We don't learn the language of love on our own in isolation. We have to learn it from the one who is love himself. Agape love is not primarily a feeling for something, for someone else that happens to you. Like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Sometimes when you make a statement as a preacher that uh, we have a, a tainted idea of love, it can be easily like said and, and, and glazed over. But I was reflecting on some of the things that we hear that are tied into Christmas traditions. And how we communicate them as, as somehow loving or connected to love. But even just the idea of Santa and this, this naughty or nice list, it's not loving. It's like legalistic. It's like Santa's a Pharisee. Somehow... Somehow, in the generosity of Christ, where the unconditional love of God enters into the brokenness of the world to give the greatest gift of life that could have ever been given, we've taken Santa and said, well, if a kid is naughty or nice, we'll be the determinant of whether or not they receive a gift. We have somehow supplanted love to be conditional. And if anything... It's simply a reflection of the baseline fact that we don't know unconditional love for ourselves. That we say that it's a nice idea. We actually desire it for ourselves. I hope I receive unconditional love. I hope I'm shown unconditional love. But our ability to give it is, is, is often beyond us. The language of love is not found within tradition. It's not found within culture. It's not found within well-intentioned good works. It's found only within Jesus. The breaking in of a fragile baby into the chaos of the world, unconditionally giving of himself so that you and I might receive the greatest gift that's ever given, that is love. While we were still enemies, he came for us. While we rejected him, he loved us. While we forgot him, he saw us. This is love, and we can only learn it through him. 
Jesus is the embodiment of love that our soul longs for. He is the interruption of peace that our world strives for. And he carries the burdens of our life. He fulfills scripture. And he counters culture and he embodies love itself. What does Jesus say in his life? He says, I've come to seek and save. The story of the Bible is about heaven coming to earth. Not escapism. Not somehow this idea that one day you're going to end up in this ethereal place far away from the bad, bad world that it is. No, God enters into the world through Jesus and says, I want to make it new. And we see that on the macro level and it's most certainly true in the micro level. He sees each and every one of us individually. And he does not wait for a future day when he's going to make it so that somehow you can be with him. He said right here, right now, where you're at, in all that you're experiencing, I've made a way for us to be together. Because the, the words of Jesus is that he has come to seek and save the lost. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Luke 19 verse 10 says, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. And what does Jesus do in his actions? Well, he longs to be with us at a cost to himself. Colossians 1 verse 19 says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This is what the Christmas story is saying over and over again. The, the language of life is the one that we use. The language of love is the one that Jesus wants us to hear and begin to experience. But the language of Jesus is that he is the embodiment of love, the, the transformation of our hearts, the, the shaping of our minds in a way to become more like him. And here's the thing this morning, if you can't say the words of love, if you can't say the words of joy, of peace, of hope, Jesus speaks it for you. He makes a way where there is no way and he invites us to follow him, to rest in him, to put our trust in him and to be with him. Because what does he do in his very being? Well, he takes that action of love. He engages with his enemies. He gives himself freely to those who would treat him with the utmost disrespect and hatred and he does so in a way that offers them freedom simultaneously. He doesn't just say the words I'm going to seek and save. We've all heard people say nice things. He doesn't just have good intentions. Well, I long to be with you. No, in his very being, God enters into the world takes upon the fragility of our humanity, bears the weight of all of our sin, offers forgiveness over and over and over again, embodies love as it's meant to be. And he says, just come to me and you will find rest. Come to me and you're going to find healing. Come to me and you're going to find hope. I have made a way where there is no way because he's simply being all that he has claimed to be. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That the language of Jesus might not just be a transcript that we might read and misinterpret. 
but it might be the very presence of God with us so that we might hear the words, experience what it is that's being said, and come into a full realization that when he says he's come to be with us, he truly has. We had Solly read the story of Elizabeth and Mary. And part of the story takes us to this moment that as Mary arrives to see Elizabeth, the Bible says that the baby within Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy. And the response of Elizabeth in that moment is the baby leapt with joy, and the Bible says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. And out of that filling of the Holy Spirit came gratitude and joyfulness. And she, she responds by saying, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And I feel like that's the question we often ask. Why am I so favored that the God of the universe would come to us? And we put up these walls to disqualify ourselves immediately. The story of Christmas is that in a world that has done nothing to deserve it, Jesus has come. Full of life and love. How am I so favored that Jesus came to me? Because he loves you. Unconditionally. And it might seem so simple. But the act of coming to be with us is the declaration of love that our soul longs for. So will you welcome him? He has arrived at your door. He is knocking and asking to be let in. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been a follower of Jesus in the Christmas season feels like an opportunity to return to that place, I would invite you, open the door again. We are prone to close it. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is and the idea of unconditional love is beyond anything you've experienced in this world. Know that Jesus wants to offer it to you this morning and he simply says, let me in. Place your trust in me. Follow my way. And if you're here this morning and you just feel overwhelmed, the language of life is writing your story. You feel burdened, anxious, spared. The story of Christmas is that Jesus comes to you and he says, there is hope. There is still hope. You have not been forgotten. Henry Nowen says, we are your people, walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. And to you we say, come Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are so grateful 
that in a moment like this, we might experience the nearness of your spirit. That here at Christmas, we might remember and reflect that you have come for us. Not somehow out of obligation or out of a absence, aloof plan that just needs to be carried out. But out of a longing and a desire to be with your creation. To demonstrate who you really are and that is love itself. Love that is unconditional. That enters into the chaos that enters into the mess, that carries no expectation of reciprocation, that holds no ulterior motives. That's the love that you show to us and that's the love that you invite us to live with. Might we learn that language today and find freedom to be in relationship with you. May we discover your love this morning. Thank you that you have come. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.